Praise the Lord. Are you happy to be here this evening? Praise God. So am I. So am I. Today I was thinking about what somebody said. When I look at myself in the mirror, I wonder how I can be saved. But when I think about Jesus, I wonder how I can be lost. God is good. Amen. I want to let you know that on yesterday we had an awesome time. Isn't that right, Pastor? We had an awesome time. Uh, if you were scheduled to be at the ministry retreat and you weren't there, uh, you missed something very, very powerful. As Elder Davis said, uh, we got realigned and readjusted. We got a clear focus on what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And so I want to follow even in that trend tonight. Will you turn with me to the book of Acts? won't keep you long tonight. I don't preach long. <laughs> I want to thank my family as well. They're leaving tomorrow. Praise God for them. Uh, I wouldn't trade them for anybody else in the world. Went out of their way today to make sure I had some furniture in my house. I was content to sleep on the floor. I mean, man, but thank you. Thank you, family. Thank you. Thank you. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Starting at verse 4. Thank you, Marna, for working with me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Allow me to read in your hearing. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. What did I say? For the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, Brothers, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive what? But you shall receive what? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to speak to you very briefly on the subject, church doesn't count. Church doesn't count. I know you're ready to crucify me, so I'll make my exit as soon as I finish. Let's pray about this thing. Father God, we thank you. Because your grace is sufficient. With all the problems and issues we had today, we're grateful, God, to come into your house because we know we've got one more move. We know we can pray to you. We know we can praise you. We know we can thank you and ask you for whatever we need. God, we thank you so much for the talented people here at Glenville who have blessed our hearts with music, God. We thank you for the praise team, God. How excellent is your name in all the earth. Thank you, God, for the men's choir, Lord, who has reminded us, God, that the one person we need to be looking forward to seeing is Jesus. I ask, God, that you be with us tonight as we study this word, God, and we pray. And when it's all said and done, nobody will remember the messenger, not even so much the message, but the master in the message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church doesn't count. Brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong this evening. We need church. Would you agree? 
We need the fellowship of believers. We need to have guidelines and rules and regulations sometimes to keep us in line. We need the love and compassion of other saints to encourage us, to give us advice, to keep us going on our way. But what I realized the other day was that most of what I do for God is inside the walls of this church. And God helped me to realize that that just doesn't suffice. Because the truth is, if, only I do, if I only do everything inside of the walls of the church, then I'm not fulfilling the Great Commission, am I? It's not the Bible say or Jesus says, Go ye therefore and make disciples. What I'm doing here, simply not enough. Well, follow me for a moment. Three and a half years have passed since Jesus' 12 disciples first accepted the call to follow him. They have been through much. They have experienced all the trials and hardships that associate themselves with ministry. They have seen Jesus heal and forgive sins, heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, cause the lame to walk. These disciples, these men have seen everything that they needed to see. Amen. Jesus has been crucified. He has risen again, and now before he is about to depart to glory, he assembles these 12 disciples together to give them one last word of counsel and one last command. Christ was about to entrust this ragtag bunch of men to carry the first messages of Christianity to the world. Now, they were not scholars, were they? They were not doctors and lawyers. They did not attend Oakwood or Andrews University. In fact, they had never preached a sermon before Christ called them. They were not experienced. They were not learned men in the least regard. In fact, in one of my favorite books, 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur, he notes that at one point in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, when the people were listening to Peter and John speak, they perceived that they were agramatoi idiota. Literally, in the Greek, it means they were illiterate idiots. Y'all didn't hear me. Most of them probably could not even read. They were common men with an uncommon calling. The task was great before them. They had been chosen to defy nations and empires and kings and rulers and emperors and a host of opposition just to tell the world about one man named Jesus. Now as Jesus is about to ascend to the Father and entrust them with such a precious work after three years, these brothers still did not get it. It seemed to be a recurring theme throughout the Gospels, in fact. Every now and again, as you read the story, you have these brief moments. It seems like, you know what? The disciples, they're finally getting, getting it. They're moving along. They're understanding what Christ is about to do. It feels like they have arrived at a place of complete faith and understanding that Jesus has not come for any worldly position, but to set up the kingdom of heaven. But then as you keep on reading... Undoubtedly, you have to bring your hand to your forehead and said, these knuckleheads just don't get it. John 14, 1 through 11, turn there with me. John 14, I'll give you a quick example. John chapter 14, verse 1. 
When you have it, say amen. Bible says this, Jesus says, rather, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then comes Thomas in verse 5, Lord... We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, brother, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. Verse 7, keep on reading. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. But here comes Philip. Lord, show us the Father. And it will suffice for us. Jesus said to him, Philip, have I not been so long with you? And yet have you not seen me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So, How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me. That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me just for the work's sake themselves. Many times throughout the scripture, we find Jesus talking to his disciples after Peter with his brutish self. He just speaks up. He always puts his foot in his mouth, and Jesus has to stop him and say, Peter, are you kidding me? Seriously, I'm not coming to set up an earthly kingdom. I'm coming to die for sinners and to save the world. Sister White even says that Judas even thought that Jesus would not allow himself to be taken. That's why he turned him in. Often Jesus says things like, are you still yet without understanding? Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. To me, Jesus seems like he is the epitome of patience and acceptance in the Gospels. If it was up to me, brothers, I would have fired them all. Put an ad in a Jerusalem Times newspaper, and I would have said, seeking capable and competent men of God who can get the job done. But for some reason, Jesus trusts them. It does not make sense. These brothers lacked understanding. They lacked spiritual understanding. They lacked humility. They lacked faith. They lacked This is a lot of stuff. They lack commitment. They lack power. But God chose the least. And it just goes to show that God can use anybody or anything. Doesn't matter how old you are. Am I right about it? Or how young or how sharp or how dull or how broke or how busted or how disgusted you are. God can use anybody. He can use anything as well. I think the Bible says something like he used a donkey to get his message across. I have seen God, even in my own life, use the guttermost to the uttermost. What he needs to accomplish on earth. God does not need capable people, am I right? Or equipped people. God needs willing people with willing hearts 
to finish the work. God does not need geniuses in his work, does not need people who know the Bible from front to back. God just needs willing people. It's just so simple. And for all that we can take away from the disciples, although they were some dull knives, and although they probably were hmm, a few french fries short of a happy meal, these brothers were willing to follow Jesus, am I right? And God used them because they were willing. For most of them, all he had to say to them were two words, follow me. Brothers left everything. In fact, some scholars note that Peter even left his wife. I'm not advocating that, but I'm just saying. Brothers left everything to follow Jesus. Most of them left their own families to follow Jesus because they recognize the significance of the calling. And maybe it's high time, brothers and sisters, in our own lives we recognize the significance of our calling as Christians in the world. Barack Obama is a very important man. In fact, we would call him the world leader, the leader of Russia. He's another uh, leader of a superpower and every other world leader in the world. But the truth of the matter is nobody's calling is higher than the Christian's calling. Can I break it down for you? We serve God. And we don't answer to anybody but God. The word of God tells us that we are his ambassadors on the earth. We are his emissaries. I don't think you get it, brothers and sisters. We serve God and we only answer to him. We serve the God who made the earth. A God who came from nothing, stepped onto nothing, and with the power of his own will, made something. We serve a God who hung the sun, the moon, and the stars in the universe. We serve a God who put the earth at just the right tilt on its axis, so that if we were one degree to the left or one degree to the right, we would either freeze or burn. So how could anybody's calling be any higher than ours? We serve God. Man, this is... We don't answer to anyone but him. Power of life and death is in our hands. And coming to church is not the work that we are supposed to be doing. Follow me, brothers and sisters. We are supposed to be taking what we get from church to the rest of the world. Church doesn't count. You can talk about Peter all you want to, but at least the brother had passion. Recognized that Jesus had called him to something special. Even Thomas gets a bad rap in our books. But the brother was more willing and more faithful than many Christians today. Go and take a look at John chapter 11. Bible says that Lazarus had died and Jesus was about to take the disciples back into Judea. But the fact of the matter was the Jews had threatened to kill Jesus if he ever came back. 
So the disciples were afraid. And then Thomas speaks up and says, you know what, brothers? If he's going to go there and die, well, we may as well go ahead and die with him. And some of us, if God calls us to go to our next door neighbor's house and preach the good news, we would not do it. But Thomas goes with him and says, brothers, if, we, if he's going to die, we may as well die with him. That's faith. Hmm. Yes, they were weak. Yes, these brothers were dull, but they were willing. That's for sure. So here they are. Jesus' time is finished on earth. He's about to go to heaven. And surely by this point, you assume, yeah, you know what? The disciples, they, they finally got it. They are fully trained. They are ready to mass produce the gospel in the hearts of men. And it seemed fine until we get to verse 6. Turn back to Acts. Everything seems good. Verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together. In other words, it's almost like they were arguing amongst themselves. Who's going to ask him? Peter, are you going to do it? Andrew, are you going to do it? Who's going to ask Jesus this horrible question? Therefore, when uh, they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It's funny because Luke, the author of Acts, seems to be very generous as he gives Jesus' response. Brothers, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. But then I feel like there probably was a little more emotion in Jesus' voice at that time. I kind of feel like Jesus was saying, brothers, are you, are you kidding me right now? That's really none of your business. Stop worrying about the times and the seasons. Forget about just Israel. Can't you see the big picture that is in front of you? You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit is come upon you and you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, not only in all Judea, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My followers, can't you see that the gospel depends on you now? Sister White goes so far as to say that if Christ had not sent the Holy Spirit, the disciples left to themselves, left alone, would have remained fixated on Israel. The message would have never gone out, and the mission of God would have been compromised. So Christ had to send his Holy Spirit, amen? Give them power so that the message of God may bear fruit in the world. And one of the marks of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, is an intense burden for souls. Let me say that again. One of the marks of the Holy Spirit is an intense burning for souls. The burning passion inside of you to tell somebody else. In fact, I agree with Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, God, he said there was a time, God, I did not want to speak your words. Didn't want to tell anybody about you. But the fact was, it was like fire. Shut up in my bones. An intense burden for souls is what we get when we receive the Holy Spirit. The constant impression on our hearts and on our minds that somebody in my circle of influence, 
whether in my family or at my job or even at my church, does not know Jesus. And I have to tell them about the good news. The world's greatest need right now is a Christian. that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and empowered to share the gospel of God. Christ has made us in this world his feet, amen, and his hands and his mouth. And if we as the people of God are not producing the fruit of souls through the Holy Spirit, if we are not sharing our faith, we are the salt that has lost its savor and the light that is hid under a bushel. You know, I'm inspired tonight by Tim Tebow. Fact is, I admire the guy. Maybe you don't like him. I know everybody's Cleveland Browns fan. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I admire Tim Tebow tonight. The fact is, this brother is the starting quarterback of a national football league. And he publicly and without shame, proclaims his faith. But you know what's interesting, brothers and sisters? All the newscasters and the sports reporters are judging his spirituality and how real God is in his life by how much he wins. But the fact of the matter is, he's already won because he's proclaiming Jesus. And Jesus tells us that if we confess him before man, he will confess us before his father. Funny thing is, they mic'd him up one day and had some cameras on him. And as the brother was throwing the ball around, he was singing, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven and earth. Shaking people's hands on the football field after they tackle him. Praying for people. They have footage of him going to the jail and preaching to young boys. They were giving their life to Christ. I'm inspired. I take the Tebow challenge. Make my faith more public in the world. Church does not count. It's too little. The disciples had a work to do, but instead they were worried about Israel and worried about the times. And I find that we may actually have the same concerns today, brothers and sisters. The disciples worried about two things, Israel and the times and the seasons. Well, for them, Israel was their center of religion and culture, and the same is with us. I have found that some people are so fixated on this. They are so fixated on the church, so fixated on Adventism and being exclusive and sectarian that we often forget it's really not about us. not for us to dream about a time when Christ will come and prove to the world that Adventists were right. I don't believe that he's coming to set up his kingdom at the GC office. 
I believe we have the truth. I better believe it. I'm a paid pastor. <laughs> yes, God has given us a special and unique message, but we were not chosen just to sit up and play church. Am I right about this thing? God has called us so that we will go out and be his witnesses in the world. Church just, it just doesn't count anymore. God wants us to go out, tell people that he loves them. He wants to save them no matter who they are, what they have done. Jesus has died for them. Church has to become now more than a service less attractional and more missional, Pastor. Too many people out in the world who need to hear the good news. Smoking and drinking and fornication, we believe, can all be cured by the power of God. It's not always about us and defending our beliefs and making people like us. We have got to become more missional-minded Jesus told his disciples, brothers, it's not just about Israel. It's not just about you. Forget all that. Go out and share the gospel. Might I add one more thing, brothers and sisters? We as Adventists, I'm just going to say it. Why not? We focus more on behavior modification than heart restoration. It's almost like we put people through an assembly line, so when they get off, they're just like us. But we tend to focus less on the good news of Jesus, the simple message that he's died for everybody and he's coming to save us. Well, I better move on. Well, they were worried about Israel, and they were worried about the times. In other words, they were worried about that question, when? When are you going to come back? The disciples were afraid. The Roman oppression threatened their way of life and their culture and their freedom, and the same is with us today. We are waiting for that time when Christ will return. Will you agree? I hope you are. Some of us actually have become so preoccupied with last-day events that when the time of tribulation actually hits, many of us will not even be ready. Oh, what am I talking about? What are you talking about, preacher? I know people who know every single prophecy and can quote it for you, and they are tracking every major natural disaster and every catastrophic event to try and pinpoint the time of Christ's coming. Many people, brothers and sisters, believe you, me tonight, will miss out on heaven because they were only looking for Jesus, not loving Jesus, and surely not sharing the gospel of Jesus. But like the disciples, we are steadily gazing into heaven as Jesus is somewhere up there in the atmosphere, the angels are telling us, why are, do you stand there gazing? Go out and do the work. Well, let me deal with this not loving thing. Let me help you make it clear. We have people today, brothers and sisters, who can literally quote whole passages of Scripture for you. 
They know the history of Adventism up until this very day. We have people who are genius preachers and talented scholars in so much that they know every facet of God's word. But for all their truth, they do not know God. Neither are they in a loving relationship with him. Jesus even told the scribes and the Pharisees, you know what, brothers? You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But the scriptures are they which testify of me. And you would not come to me so that I could give you eternal life. One author says that most people will miss heaven by 18 inches. What are you talking about, preacher? Most people will miss heaven by 18 inches. That is the distance from the heart to the head. Because despite the mountain of head knowledge that people have, in their hearts they do not possess God. Oh, they talk a good game, especially in church. We know how to do it. Happy Sabbath. How are you doing? They know all the right phrases. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But all throughout the week, we have people when, and God does not hear his name on their lips. Hmm. Well, I'll leave the not loving part. Let's go to the not sharing the gospel part. When is the last time, brothers and sisters, that you told somebody about Jesus? I don't mean over potluck. Don't mean in the church. I don't mean that you corrected somebody in Sabbath school. I mean, when is the last time you told somebody about Jesus that did not know him before? What they say is that the average Adventist Christian does not have three to five friends that are non-Adventist. All of our friends are in the church. We don't even take time to get to know people that are outside of the church. And these are the people that need the good news. So it really doesn't make any sense. And I say church does not count. More than just knowing and discerning the times, Christ wants us to be ready when he comes. Not getting ready, brothers and sisters. Being ready. We're supposed to keep our lamps trimmed and burning. Amen. You remember the five foolish versions. The bridegroom delayed his coming. And during that time, these sisters slumbered and slept, is what the Bible says. Christ did not call us just to be concerned about the church or even the times. The times are important, brothers and sisters. He has given us prophecy to know when time is getting closer to the, when he will come. But that's not all God wants us to do. He called us to evangelize the entire world. Sin is a disease. And the fact is, we have the cure. And it does not make sense, brothers and sisters, that you know that there are people outside of these walls who are literally dying from a disease and you have the cure. Do you mean to tell me you know people are dying 
and you will not give them the antidote to save their life. It's something we're supposed to be doing. Am I right? We have a work to do. All of us are evangelists. If we have heard the word of God, if we have accepted the word of God, there is no reason why we should not be sharing the gospel with everybody else. Great Commission says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. I love this quote. One of my favorites from Ellen White. She says, we are not only to wait for Christ's coming, we are supposed to hasten Christ's coming. Now, when you really think about that, in some respects, what she is saying is, it is within our power to speed up the coming of Christ. We're not only to wait. We are supposed to hasten his coming. Disciples, their mindset was just so small. God wasn't only concerned with Israel, but with the entire world. And God didn't necessarily want them to be concerned with the time. He just wanted them to be ready. And even though they were untrained and unlearned and unready, Jesus told them, brothers, you will receive power. I know you've heard this before, but in the Greek, that word is dunamis, in which we get the word dynamite from. Jesus says, brothers, you're going to receive dynamite power. Looked at a bunch of commentaries, and basically what the scholars were saying is that you're going to receive miraculous power. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we can truly do what Christ said, that we will do greater works than he did. When you really consider that thing, it brings to mind what we possibly could be accomplishing in the world and how much time we waste thinking about church. And I love church, brothers and sisters. This is my favorite place to come. I would come here every day if I could. I love to worship and I love preaching and I love music. But at the end of the day, church is not enough. God says, go and make disciples. Tell people what I've told you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I'm almost done. And you shall be my witnesses. Oh, Lord, help me, God. Hmm. How can we be a witness if we haven't seen anything? Now, you know good and well, if you go before a judge acting as if you're a witness and you say he said and she said, then you're working by hearsay. Jesus says we will be witnesses. Every member of the church, 
ought to be spirit baptized and spirit led. We ought not trust ourselves in this sacred work. And we ought to have had to spend time with Jesus ourselves. Corporate worship is lovely. I love being in church. I love hugging people and giving them holy hugs and holy kisses. I love the fellowship. I love potluck because I love to eat. I love church. But brothers and sisters, you and I need our own relationship with Jesus. Even amongst our young people, our parents' relationship will not suffice. We have to learn to love God for ourselves. We each have to get into our word. Cannot rely on me. Cannot rely on the pastor alone or the Sabbath school teacher. We must know God for ourselves. First Peter 3.15 says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to sanctify the Lord in your hearts. So that you will always have an answer for anybody who asks you a reason for what you believe. Pastor, you said it the other day. As a matter of fact, yesterday, somebody comes to the church. And they ask us, they want to know about Jesus. And we look around, well, where's the pastor? Can... And I feel like what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples and he's trying to tell us is that we must know God personally. Got to be witnesses. Without a personal experience, brothers and sisters, there can be no true Christian witness. God's people always have to have an answer ready for why they believe what they believe. And please don't quote Ellen White for every answer. What has God done for you? Not one person sitting in this church tonight that God has not done something for. I know good and well we're not all perfect. God has brought us a mighty long way. And we ought to articulate our testimony before people. People don't want to hear about the 2300 days when they just want to get saved on the front end. They want to know about Jesus. Question we have to ask ourselves is, what do I know about him? Hmm. Well, the Greek word for witness is martyrios. We get the word martyr from this word, or martyrdom. Martyrdom basically has the connotation of death. Don't you know, brothers and sisters, that death is a part of this journey as well. When we come to Christ and as we are living for him and we accept his word, we must die daily. In fact, Paul says uh, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Brothers and sisters, we must die daily. Jesus says we must take up our cross every single day and die. Meaning John must be put to the side and I must be put behind the cross so whenever somebody sees me, 
they see Jesus. Well, here's one for you. If we should find ourselves in heaven, that's what the inspired pen says. If we should find ourselves in heaven, there will be somebody there who made it in by our instrumentality. So I need to break that down. In other words, if we go to heaven, there will be somebody who made it there because of us. So what Sister White is saying is, if you don't help somebody else get in, it's very unlikely that you will get in. Jesus says, be a witness. Hmm. Well, one last one and I'll leave. Hmm. She says, souls are thirsting for the waters of life. Do not be empty cisterns. Brothers and sisters, we must cultivate our relationship with Christ every single day. Not just on Sabbath, not just on Wednesday evenings. We must have a relationship with Christ every single day of the week. Church just doesn't count anymore. We must go public with our faith now. Jesus is actually waiting to come. And in some respects, he may even be waiting on us. She says it's within our power to hasten his coming. I don't know about you this evening, but I want Jesus to come. I want to go home. I'm already sick and tired of the world. We have a work to do. Amen. And I don't want to get fat off of the gospel just sitting in church. In fact, every week we just ought to inhale the word. And when we leave, just exhale that thing to the world. The world is waiting on us, brothers and sisters. If we truly call ourselves the remnant, the people of God, then we will be doing the work that he has asked us to do. And the fact of the matter is, if we are not doing the work, then it stands to reason that we are not his people. Jesus says, brothers, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Brothers and sisters, tonight, I'm grateful for this 40 for fruit challenge and this 40 for fruit fast. Because hmm, I was reminded so potently of how important the power of the Holy Spirit is in these last days. We have a work to do, brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter how you do it. All God is asking is that you be a witness. Pray for somebody. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about what's going on in Glenville. Tell them that Christ can save them. Tell them that he has the answer to all of their problems. Tell them he's coming back. And the earth is going to burn up with fervent heat unless we put our trust in God every last one of us will be lost and so we must trust him today we must plead his Holy Spirit 
and we must be witnesses for him. Father, thank you. Thank you, God. Firstly, for dying on the cross for our sins. God, we're grateful tonight because we know, God, we could not save ourselves. Father, if we come into church and we're screaming hallelujah and we're saying amen and we're crying with tears, God, and we're having an enjoyable time worshiping you, God, we've got to go out and tell somebody else. Somebody's struggling just beyond these walls. And Lord, it is within our power to give them a better life, a better option, and the best answer. Lord, I pray tonight. <laughs> I pray tonight, God, as we're continuing this 40 for fruit, that you will baptize every single one of us with your Holy Spirit. We need it, God. We need it. We admit tonight we have not done our best, God. I know I haven't. We don't even have many friends outside of the Adventist church, God. Help us, Lord. Teach us. Give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, God, that wherever we are, we can be a contagious Christian and we can infect other people. God, your word tells us that even though the disciples were illiterate, idiots, and ignoramuses, and incapable, God, and inadequate and insufficient, God, the Bible says that that's the same reason why people knew that they had been with Jesus. I pray that our very words, God, oh Lord, our very deportment, our dress, our language, God, our movements, our mannerisms may be in harmony with you. Lord, I'm not worried about stars in my crown. I could care less, God. But the fact is, God, your prophetess tells us that most likely, God, if, 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 if we don't find anybody there who has made it in by our instrumentality, we will not be there. Help us, oh Lord. Take somebody by the hand and lead them closer to you and to Calvary. Lord, this is our prayer tonight. Lord, I'm asking that every person in this place, God, that wants to commit tonight that they want to do more for you, God. More for you outside of the church, outside of a department and a program. I'm praying that they'll stand to their feet right now, God. Praying that they would submit themselves to you. God, you see them. They're recommitting now. They're getting rebaptized by your spirit right now. Help us, God. We need to be about our Father's business. Help us to put all issues behind us, all personal vendettas, 
truth is, God, this is not our home anyway. If we really believe what we believe, then, God, we are just pilgrims passing through. The more stuff we pick up along the way just burdens us down for the journey. Help us, God, to walk the pathways of life as we walk the path of righteousness and keep heaven at the forefront of our minds. We love you, God. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. Father, as we close this night of the revival, we ask God that you bless us indeed. You bring us back again tomorrow night, God, to hear more about your Holy Spirit. We'll be careful, God, to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. We love you, God. We thank you. Forgive us of all sins and shortcomings. If we have offended thee, God, do not hold it against us. Above all things, God, when it's all said and done, save us. Save us, oh God, not from sin, but save us from ourselves into your kingdom. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you. Let every blood-washed believer, hmm, every acceptor of the gospel, let them say amen, amen, and amen.